Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of January 2012, entitled Righteous Children and Religious Counterfeits. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll be reading what I'm sure is a familiar passage to many of you this morning. As we look at one of the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us concerning the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew chapter 13, we'd like to begin reading in verse 24. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if you skip down to verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Father, we thank you so much again this morning for health, for strength. We thank you, Lord, for our church, and we thank you for this place that you give us to meet. We thank you, Lord, for each one that is health and strength liberty and freedom and opportunity to be here today as we gather together to worship you. And Father, as we come together here today, we know, Father, that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the hearts of each individual. You know the needs of each one here today. We pray now, Lord, Lord, that in spite of our weaknesses and failings, but because of our great need, we pray that by your Son, through the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would quicken your word and make it alive into our hearts, that you would speak to each one that that they most need this day. 
Lord, any here that are lost that they might be saved, backsliders restored, Christians strengthened, encouraged, and challenged, and whatever needs that need to be met in their life, will you do that for us, all for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Have you ever asked the question or had somebody maybe ask the question, why doesn't God just kill the devil and get him out of here? We look around and we see all these bad things that we say that he's responsible for. Why didn't God just get rid of him? Why is he allowed to continue to work in our midst? Well, for believers here today, we can have an absolute, complete, total confidence. We know that our Lord is with us. We know that even amongst the worst and the most evil of times here upon this earth, that we're still looking for our blessed hope. We know that he's coming for us. We know that one day that we have the promise of a place where there will be no more Satan and no more of his influence, no more of the curse that comes from all of that sin because we know the end of the story. We know how it finishes. But I might say also that if there were anyone here today that is not a true believer, that's never put your complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work, you may have all the religion in the world, but if you don't have that absolute personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you should be grateful that the devil's still at work because there is coming a day, and we read about it here in our reading today. There is coming an end when Satan will be put away for good. But the simple truth is, that if that day had already come, then so would the harvest. And if you're here today, if that day had come, it would be too late for you. Why has Satan not been put away? Well, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be praising God and thanking God that by his grace, through his love, he has given you another opportunity as I thought upon scriptures, and of course, I guess that I guess my first inclination in coming back was that we would get right back into the series that we've gone through, whatever, 70-some sermons or something already. But I genuinely believe that we're going to leave that for a couple of weeks until after our conference. I've only got like two more Sundays before we'll be into conference time. There's just a number of things I'd like to share with you from the heart that the Lord has been dealing with me in these past months that we were away from each other. As I look at this passage today, there's really a couple of reasons, a number of things that brought me to this passage. Some of them is some of the experiences that we had while we were away. You know, we have been in all different kinds of churches, all different sized churches. Some of them we've seen God blessing mightily and, 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 and people being saved. And I know that it was a blessing. You know, some of those churches, even on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, to go and see four or 500 people gathered together for a prayer meeting tonight as they come together and to see God doing great things in their midst. 
But we also saw others that were going through terrible struggles, that though they were still trying to be faithful, their numbers were down, their offerings were down. They were trying to struggle and see how to find their way forward. Now, these are all churches that are preaching, preaching the same truths that we preach. Worship styles may vary a little bit, but they would all be those of like faith and mind as us and very similar in the way they come together. But yet in some of them, you can see such a movement of God. I chose our two first opening hymns this morning about the Lord reviving us. You say, preacher, do you think that we need reviving? Well, if you don't, your pastor does, okay? <laughs> so we'll sing them for me. Because the simple truth is, is that all of us go through up times and down times, but none of us have arrived yet. Yes, I need reviving. Yes, our church needs reviving. We need to have God's presence and reality in our midst more real than ever before in our lives. We sing some of those other songs that, that we sing there. And truly, I believe that as we sing, that if it's going to happen, there's only one place that it's going to come from. That's to the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. It's him that we lift our praise and our honor and our glory to. I also recognize that even as I look around our own church here, do you know that I could not express in words how much I thank God for each one of you and your presence here? You know what? There's a lot of others that should be here this morning that aren't. There are others that are struggling. And the reality is this, that as we look around us, I'm just talking to you from my heart now. I have no interest. You know, I, I love you and I love meeting with you and I love coming together with you. I love being a pastor all these years. But folks, I have no interest of mediocrity when it comes to worshiping and serving the Lord. There's too much mediocrity. There's too much just so-so-ism, just people coming together. They know all the truths. They've got all the religious stuff down path, but there is no reality of God working in their midst. I want God to work in my life, and I want him to work in your life, and I want him to work in our church. That will not happen by itself. It's going to begin with us as individuals. And as we look at this passage this morning, yes, the devil is at work. You best believe he is at work. And he's working on us individually. He'll try to discourage you. He'll try to get you down. He'll try to put things in front of you that really are of no significance at all, but he'll make them big mountains to be anything that can keep you from that rightful relationship with your Savior, with your God, with your Creator. He'll do anything that he can to get you down, to get you discouraged, to just have you have so many things going on in your life that you don't have time for the things that I believe with all my heart and that I become more and more and more convinced of every day that is what our life has to be about. You say, you're just, you know, people can become religious fanatics. Well, folks, I believe we need to be fanatical about our faith and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as we look into the Scripture that we see that, yes, Satan's at work. Expect it. 
But I want to encourage you about something else this morning. God's still at work too. He is still God. He is still on the throne. His plan is still in place. It will be performed, and he is at work, and he will work today in your life, in your pastor's life, and in the life of this church. We can be just another church of mediocrity. We'll read about that in a minute. Just a church that maybe we've got a lot of good people and we've got a lot of good truths and we do a lot of good things. But we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ living and working and accomplishing his work in our lives and in our church. Do we want to see God do great things? I want you just to understand today, as we look at this passage, I want you to look at one thing first of all. You know, many of us as pastors, as preachers, when we preach, a lot of times we'll like to throw in a good illustration, just something that is a down-to-earth story to try to get across a spiritual truth. Well, where did that come from? Well, Jesus started it, so blame him. <laughs> and that's what we find here today. First of all, we see an illustration, this parable of our Lord that he has given to us. He says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. He doesn't say that it is this, but here's something that it's like. Here's something that will help you to understand it. Here's an illustration, a, a story from your everyday life that'll help you to understand a spiritual truth that I want you to understand. We do this all the time. You know, we try to search our brains when we try to describe to somebody what something is like. It might be what something tastes like or what something feels like or what something smells like, and there's only one place you can go, and that's to something that you know what it tastes like, smells like, looks like, feels like, something that you can compare it to. Well, the Lord gives us many illustrations in Scripture to help us to understand spiritual things, and he's doing that here. He begins in verse 24 of our reading, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. So he begins painting this picture, this story picture, and he's got a man, this, this, this farmer, that is out there sowing good seed in his field. The field belongs to him. He's obviously got the seed, and he's out there doing the work. He then comes in verse 25. Now notice it was one man that was sowing in verse 24, but in verse 25 it was while men, plural, slept. While men slept, the enemy came in. And the enemy came in, and instead of sowing the good seed like the farmer had sown for himself, the enemy came in while everybody else was not paying attention, while they were asleep, and he sowed tares right there in the same field, right amongst that wheat. Now, what's the purpose of tares? One purpose, to destroy. There's no other reason to put it there. That's why he did it. But you notice, you notice this one that came in and sowed those tares. He sowed his seed, and then he was on his way. He was gone. He didn't hang around personally himself, but he came by long enough to sow his seeds right in the same field, and then he was on his way. Now, we find that as we look at this, we know that to understand the story here, that in Israel, 
where that Jesus was first there telling this story to those folks, we find that there were basically four types of tares that were there in that part of the world. There were four possible tares. They were all mock, fake, artificial wheat. But the most common was what was called bearded darnel. And what it really was was a poisonous grass that when it was growing with the wheat, it looked just like the wheat. Matter of fact, you couldn't tell the two apart until it got right to the end when it came time to, to harvest. Then you could tell a slight difference in the ears, in the finished product that grew on it. But it had to be separated before the harvest. It had to be taken out before the good because if any of that got mixed in with the good, it would ruin it all. It would all be poisoned. It would all be absolutely worthless. Now, this is a story that Jesus is telling, and he's telling it for a purpose. He's illustrating. Here's a farmer. He's out in his field. He's sown his good seed. While those that should have been watching it were sleeping, along came the enemy, and he puts out there some false, some fake stuff that will destroy all of it. He plants it out there while they're unaware, and then he goes on his way. We see in verse 26 and 27 that when the blade was sprung up and it brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Simple truth is, is that they began to realize that everything that was in the field wasn't real. It became obvious that it wasn't all genuine. The tares had sprung up right alongside of the good wheat. The enemy had been at work. The next two verses, the servants are willing to go out and to start trying to separate this themselves. And it says, no, you might pull up the good with the bad. That's not a good idea. You leave it, let it grow together to harvest, and then the separating will be done. At the harvest, everything would be sorted out. The reapers would take care of destroying the tares, getting rid of them, and gathering up the genuine. The tares would be burned and the wheat gathered into the owner's barn. Now, this was a natural thing. This was what was going to take place. This was a story that they could all understand, a simple story of a farmer planting his field, an enemy coming along with the purpose of, to destroy it and planting this poisonous stuff right amongst the real and then letting it grow together. But one day the harvest was going to come and it would have to be separated, the good from the bad. The bad would have to be destroyed and the good would be preserved. That's the illustration. So what is he talking about? Well, that's what we saw in the second passage. That was the illustration. Many times when we read the parables, we must go back and interpret them ourselves. But we're really blessed in this one because Jesus not only gives us the illustration, he comes back himself with the interpretation to tell us exactly what he's trying to tell us in the parallel truth that is the spiritual truth. You see, he's got all of these people painted out there. But then if you would, he transforms that stage into something else. He explains the comparisons that he's using, the truth that he's expressing. 
Notice that his earthly story that he's told here is being stretched now into a spiritual lesson to learn. Verse 37, who's the sower? The Son of Man. In this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who's being pictured as that, that farmer sowing the seed in his good field. What is the field? He tells us in verse 38. The field, in this case, is the world. So you've got Jesus Christ and the field. The world is his. The good seed, he says here, are the children of the kingdom. In other words, those good seed that have been sown, that good wheat that springs forth, that's those that are genuinely born again. That's those that are saved. They're the children of the kingdom. But the tares that have been sown amongst us, he tells us there in verse 38, those are the children of the wicked one. So you've got the saved and the unsaved. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ that has his field and it's him that plants the good seed that brings forth the children of the kingdom. The only place that the new birth can come from is through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got the tares. And he tells us in verse 38 that that enemy that has sown those tares is none other than the devil himself. It's Satan. He's the one that's gone out there and he's put all of these unsaved right amongst the saved. The harvest, he says, is the end of the world. That's when that last time is coming. And those that are doing the reaping, he says, are the angels. And so he gives us this picture story, something that is so simple to understand. And then he says, this character represents this one, and this character represents this one, so that you can understand this spiritual truth, that it is Jesus Christ that is sowing his children in this world he doesn't tell us who the men were that were sleeping here, but somebody wasn't being as diligent as they should. Somebody wasn't taking their responsibilities as serious as they should. Or maybe they just weren't expecting the enemy. Maybe they thought they were doing a fine job. You know, in our series on contending for the faith, how did the enemy get in? They crept in unawares by the side door, didn't they? We find here that the enemy came unbeknown to them. We find that the devil came and he planted his children, the tares, right amongst the children of God. And then he goes on his way, leaving the danger to be done. Satan can only be in one place at a time. We serve a God that is omniscient, that is omnipotent, that is everywhere all the time with all power, with all knowledge. But Satan is one person, and he could be in one place, but he leaves others to do his bidding. He's doing his planning in the field but in the end, folks, we know that he may be called the prince of this world, but it still belongs to the Lord. <laughs> the world is still his. 
This earth is still his. The purpose of those tares that he has placed there. Now, this is interesting because remember, just as when we went back and looked in Matthew chapter 7, when we talked about true saving faith, we talked about that straight gate and that narrow way. We talked about that wide gate and that broad way. There's so many times people think that, you know, this is just lost worldly people versus Christians, but in fact, they all thought they were going the right way. This is all religious people. And I want to tell you again, if you look at this story carefully, that's what he's talking about here. You see, he's not talking about the lost people out there that know that they're lost, and that make no bones about being lost, that want nothing to do with our faith in the first place whatsoever. These people were planted amongst the good seed to look like the good seed. These are the religious people. They all have religion. They're all looking so much the same that he doesn't even want his people to start doing the reaping and doing the separating. There's going to be a time and a place for that. So what we're looking at here is, is not just a whole bunch of lost people, but Satan taking people that are lost, that are his children, placing them amongst the good to look like the good. People that have the same religious appearance, people that are doing the same things. You see, when you go out there into the garden, it might be pretty easy to identify that old ragged weed that doesn't look anything like the real thing. Even I can do that, and I'm far from being a great gardener, but I can recognize some of those weeds. But when it's something that looks just like the real thing, then you've got a problem. It can be much harder to distinguish. So that's what we have here. The purpose of the tares are to imitate, but in the end, the enemy is using them to destroy. There's a lot of danger of deception. You see, I'm sure, I'm sure there, there may be some amongst that crowd that, that really, they know that they're not saved. And they're the ones that's trying to put up a good front. And they know in their hearts that things just are not what they ought to be. But I also believe this. There are some of them that are so deceived by Satan they think they're just fine. They think they're okay. But the simple truth is, is they're not. They're not the genuine article. They're trying to live a Christian life, but they're trying to do it in the power of the flesh. You know, I've never tried to preach anybody out of heaven, but I've never tried to preach anybody into heaven. All I can do is preach you the truth. And you see, today, the last thing in the world this preacher would want to do is to give you doubts if you're a genuine born-again child of God. I don't believe that's the biggest problem in the church today. I believe that if you're saved, you can know that you're saved, and you don't have to have any doubts. You can have absolute certainty about that. But I don't want to face the Lord one day and know that you said under the preaching of his word that I was responsible for and didn't have to search your own heart. He's the one that tells you to search yourself, to know. That's all I'm challenging you today. Know that you're real. Know that your salvation is genuine. 
know with absolute certainty. And when you know it, when it's based upon God's word, not your emotions, not your feelings, not your religion, not what you've done, not what you stopped doing, not any of these things, it's based totally and solely because there's been a time in your life when you recognized your sin and you chose not to continue with it, but to turn from it, to humble yourself before a holy God and to plead forgiveness, knowing that you didn't deserve that forgiveness, but pleading forgiveness based upon what Jesus Christ did for you. Folks, he's promised that if you'll come, if you'll put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you, if you'll seek that forgiveness, he'll give you that forgiveness. But this is not some kind of a game that we say some magical words or we do some religious thing. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We recognize that in this world there are genuine believers, and there are the counterfeits. Our title to our simple thought today, Righteous Children and Religious Counterfeits. Sometimes you can't tell them apart. And the sad thing is that some people don't know the difference themselves because they try to black it out. They try to block it out every time that, that the Lord has tried to do something for them. You see, when a church is actively advancing the kingdom, you better recognize that the devil's going to do his best. He's going to try to sow tares He's going to try to destroy the harvest. Tares are the most dangerous when they're right there. The closer they are to the genuine article, the more danger that they represent. You see, when God is working, I want you to recognize today, though the devil hasn't been put down yet, and yes, he's still at work in our lives and in our midst and in our church. But God is still there too. And God is still at work. And the simple truth is, is that when God begins to do something, if we really mean that in our hearts, if we really want God to revive us, if we want God to set a fire under us, if we want God to do something with our lives, then you need to realize that's when you come, you become the greatest danger to the devil and his purpose as well. You say, preacher, why would I want to do that? The Bible says they that live godly, not might, but will suffer persecution. You're not going to live godly in this, in this world. And everybody around you just feel comfortable. <laughs> you see, the problem is we're so interested a lot of times in all of those lost people, whether they're the ungodly ones that know that they are in the world or whether they're these religious counterfeits, we want them to feel real comfortable around us, don't we? <laughs> Folks, we are in the world. And yes, we got to love them. And yes, we got to care for them. But they're not seeing Christ in our lives. They're not seeing anything that will bring change to them when we're just out there in the world joining in with them. When souls are being saved, 
When people are coming to Christ and getting stronger and witnessing and visiting and praying and when real revival is taking place, when things are happening to genuinely advance, not our kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven, Satan is going to want to destroy. He's going to want to slip in. He's going to want to put some counterfeits right there amongst the genuine in hopes of being able to poison. A little leaven leaveneth the whole bunch. You see, this scripture tells us something else. Harvest is coming. Harvest day is coming. He says here in verses 40 and 42 that the imitators, the children of the evil one, all that is not genuine will be burned in the fire, verses 40 to 42. That's, that's a tough one for us, isn't it? Has anybody ever felt really comfortable about telling somebody that wasn't ready to face Christ, if you're not ready to face Christ one day, you're going to burn in a place called hell. Anybody find that comfortable? It's not very comfortable at all, is it? Matter of fact, does anybody even find that comfortable to think about, let alone to talk about? How do we express that? How do we deal with people coming to us and saying, well, you know, I can't, I can't balance out a, a loving God in a place like hell. Well, we don't have time to go through all that today. But let me explain to you. The Bible is explicit. This is just another example. In the end, those religious counterfeits, they are going to be taken out from amongst the real thing, and they are going to be cast into the fire. He says there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's not a nice thing. How do we rectify that? Well, do you realize the alternative? Do you realize that if one of those was allowed to be harvested with the real thing, it would ruin the whole lot? It was one sin of disobedience in the Garden of Eden that brought all the sin that we know today. Hell was not prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. How do you explain a loving God in a place of torment? Well, you know, I can't explain it, but try to understand it this way. You see, hell is simply the opposite of heaven. I can't explain to you heaven either because earth, <laughs> earth is a far cry from heaven. And the simple truth is he tells us that, you know, that, man, our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, we haven't even begun to behold what's in store for us there. If heaven is all light, Jesus is the light. You know, there, there's not even going to be a, a need for the sun. He's the light. Well, hell is no light. You see, you've never pictured anything like heaven and the brightness of our Lord. But hell is no God, okay? That's the place that's there for the devil and his angels. It's his total opposite from all the light in the world, total darkness, something you've never seen. When you try to think of heaven as a place of no sin, not one sin, because with sin comes death. The wages of sin is death. 
It's all got to be destroyed. Simple truth is, is that if you try to imagine a place without even a simple bad thought, and yet the opposite of that, you haven't even begun to imagine the evil that is in some people, the most evil thoughts, the worst acts, the most awful atrocities that this world has ever known. They're either going to have to be in heaven or the place called hell. There's two abiding places. And what's not in heaven is going to be in hell. And that's that which is dead, that which is dark, that which is the opposite of everything good. It's the most evil that you can think of. It's the worst. Your mind can't even begin to go there. And that's not because of not having a loving God. It's because that's the choice that man has made. That's the only way it must be destroyed Sin must be destroyed. It's the place where all that is so that heaven can exist, so that there can be a place. You see, harvest is coming. And the truth is this. We may never. How, how, how do you ever expect to un- understand everything about a holy God? How do you expect to understand everything about an all-knowing God? I know this. I know that his love is so big and so grand and so pure and so big that my mind can't even go there. I know this. I know I trust him because he's holy and he's righteous. He's responsible for me being here. He's the one I'm accountable to because I can't understand and explain it all. I don't know. I don't have the knowledge that he does. I can't go some places because I have nothing to go there with. But I can take his word. And I can promise you this today, that whatever you want to do with those other things, one thing is for certain. In the end, there is a harvest. And there's going to be a separation. And they're going to be separated into two opposite places. And you can try to imagine either one to be what you want them to be. But God tries to give us a little bit of an idea. Which place will you be separated into? One that's genuine or one that is one of the counterfeits? There's so many things. You see, just as surely as the tares are going to burn, he says, as the verse before you, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father for the first time. There'll be no sin. There'll be nothing to dim your light. You'll be able to shine brighter than you've ever shined before in in this world. You see, every soul here today is either genuine wheat, wheat that has been planted by the Father, that good seed, saved, born again, on your way to heaven, a child of the kingdom his righteous children. We take that from verse 43. As he said there in verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. You see, today everybody here, you're either saved or you're lost. Now you could be a fake. You could be a lost person that's either pretending to be saved or a lost person that thinks that you're saved, but you are one of the other. 
And that's my challenge to you today. Whatever it takes, you examine and you know, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived yourself. Know that you're ready for the harvest because it's coming. But I want to give you one other application as we come to a close. In the book of Revelation, you see, all of this applies to us individually. But this is a very familiar passage, and this is part of where the Lord brought this in recognizing that, yes, it is absolutely vital that I know individually, personally, where I am, and that I recognize the devil is at work. Where does he want to work? He wants to work as close as he can to where growth, the real kingdom, is being built. That's where he wants to bring destruction. He wants to work close to me and close to you if you're a child of God and you're trying to do anything with your life. But we need to recognize this too. As a church, how serious are we going to be because it's not this building that's going to make us what we are. This is where we meet. This church is a body of Christ. It is a people that have bonded together, that have united together because we have a like faith. We're bonded together in common beliefs. We are an imperfect people, but we have a common goal. And the simple truth is, is that as a body, just as, as individuals, the Bible also gives us a very clear, similar illustration in comparing us together because when God brings us together and we commit together in this one body of Christ, the simple truth is it is the body of Christ, one body that he goes to great detail to help us to understand how that body works together and each one being a part and all of them together, Jesus Christ is our head, us working in unity as one body together. But in Revelation chapter 3, he talks about the church there. He talks about this body that we have united ourselves together because, you see, this same spiritual truth that Jesus himself is warning us about and telling us about, I believe in a way, and I could give you many. My next point I'm not even going to get to, that's the implications. There are many things that we can draw from this. But may I say to you today, that as we draw those things, keep this in mind. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee 
from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. He said, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The faithful Philadelphian church, what a glorious promise. And God's promised what he opens, no man can close. What he closes, no man will open. We have the glorious promise of what's before us. But notice the next verse, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eye with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me, him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You see, you got the faithful Philadelphian church, the real article. There's not a thing that's written against them, but they're given the glorious promises. You got the Laodicean church, they're just lukewarm. They make God sick to his stomach. He said, you're better off to be one or the other. But you know, those that he would spew out of his mouth, those that would make him sick, he still puts forth that call. I'm here. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn around because there's still a better way for you. Folks, you and I live in the day when as we look about us, I don't say it proudly, but we live in the Laodicean church age. Most churches are in that lukewarm state. They see themselves as okay. They've got everything they need. They don't need anything. They don't recognize what great needs they have. Simple truth is, is that we don't have to be a Laodicean church just because the age that we live in is there, we can still be a faithful Philadelphian church. And you see, that's why that as we recognize Satan is at work, he's doing his job. We see so many things from this. 
Is the world around us getting better or worse? Well, hopefully both. Because God's kingdom is growing, but at the same time, so is Satan's. We see more of the evil. We see more of the bad things. But believe me, people are still being saved as well. There are places where God is still moving because there's still a people that wants God to move them. How does the kingdom grow? Only through God. Being watered by his word. Yes, there's a lot of evil and there's a lot of hypocrisy. But I'm saying we can still grow in the Lord. It's not dependent upon society. It's not dependent upon our economy. It's not dependent upon our politicians. So many want to reform society. But without regeneration, it'll never really happen. Evil will never be eradicated by our acts, but by Jesus Christ alone. But he's still there. We have to ask ourselves, well, what is my role in all of this? You know, if we've been planted here by Christ, folks, we're not isolated. We're not, have we got any monks here that's going to go live on some mountaintop in some monastery somewhere? I don't think so. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're planted by the hand of Jesus, and he's coming back to harvest us one day. It could be today. We need to grow, just like the wheat. We need to mature. We need to be more healthy. We need to bear witness and bear testimony of our Savior. We need to be a confident, sure people with great assurance. We looked last week, you know, right here, right now, where we are, that's where God wants us. We need a great determination. We could look at so many things, but I'll leave you with this illustration. Adoniram Judson is credited for having opened the mission field in Burma. The story is written when, in Rangoon that he was arrested. When he was arrested, he was chained with his wrists together and he was chained with his ankles together. Once his ankles and, and, and wrists had been chained together, there was a, a bamboo stick that was run through and he was, he was made to hang from that bamboo stick by his ankles and his wrist, just where his body was just not touching the ground. He was put in that position, and he was basically kept in that position. That'd be pretty bad to face for a couple of days, wouldn't it? Be hard to face for a couple of weeks for sure, but it wasn't even two months. For two years, he was kept in prison like that. For two years. That's the way that he had to live. The chains, of course, cut into his wrist and his ankles, and they were just a, a bloody mess. And these were the words that he wrote. He said, God, my life is in your hands. You sent me here. Now, the question might come, well, how could that be? 
I mean, this guy had sold out everything that he had and everything that he was, and he had gone to this place where that there were no Christians, and he had gone there to take them the truth of the gospel. How could it be? How could a man be put through something like that when he was giving himself so genuinely to the Lord? Well, when he was finally out of prison, he was standing before the people. And he was standing there with outstretched arms with all of the scars that were left from his two years of being hung like that. And they said this. They said, if that is what you were willing to do for us, how can we not but believe in this Jesus that died for us? Would Adoniram Judson have ever reached the people in Burma had he not had to go through that? We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. The simple truth is this. He had to face pain and agony that's beyond anything that, again, most of us would never, ever even dream of having to go through. But he never quit trusting his faith wasn't based on circumstances. And at the end of that, God used that. Do you think? And I ask you today, I ask you today, not because you probably ever have to do it. Can you imagine going through such punishment? Would you do that if it meant your son or your daughter would be saved? <laughs> your husband, your wife? Your friend, your neighbor, how about as in his case, how about somebody you don't know, but the harvest is coming? You see, are we really willing to let God do what he needs to do with us, that his kingdom can go forth? If hell is anything like we imagine it to be, what are we willing to to sacrifice that a person wouldn't have to go there. You see, there's another reason for this today too. I believe that there's so many things, but each and every one of us, we have a life that God has given us. And the Bible tells us that life is not our own anymore because we've been bought with a price. And the truth is, is God doesn't want to do anything to make life more miserable for us. He wants us to know that joy and peace. But what's invaded our lives? What's taken our priorities? I say this for another reason. We support these missionaries that are all around the world. God has blessed us, and I believe that because of our faithfulness to them, He's blessed us here. I ask you, What's God want with your life? Is it to go like some of them have gone? Is it to work right here, truly to commit yourself to this body to serve Him? God has a job for you. He has a place for you in all of this. The simple truth is, are you willing to just give it all to Him? You see, I want to encourage you. 
I know there's probably all kinds of important things you got to do, and there's not going to be a great preacher here this evening, but I want to share a great truth with you from God's Word. You might say, preacher, I ain't got much. You see, in the last few months, some of our, our missions offerings have dropped. Some might think that, well, maybe that means we might have to quit sending some of those missionaries' support. I don't believe God wants us to do less for missions than we have before. And I don't believe God wants to make life miserable for you. But I'm saying this, God is still God, and God will do his part, but he'll do it through his people. What does God want of you in your life right now? And what does God want of our church? What does he want to do through us? I want to see him do great things. I know the devil's at work. And I know if we get serious about doing something for the Lord, he's going to be more at work. But I want to see God do great things in your life and in this church. So this morning, as we close with our closing hymn, can I ask you this honestly? Will you be honest, dead honest with yourself like you've never been before? Do you know with absolute certainty that you, if the harvest were to take place today, because the harvest is coming. You know, the harvest is coming in the end. But there's another harvest right now. Jesus also said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. That's those that can be harvested, the good, that can be harvested into the kingdom. The problem is if they're not harvested now, they will be there at the final harvest when it's too late. Today, do you know with certainty that you're ready? And secondly, only you know. How serious are you with God? You know, he was pretty serious with you when he, when he died on the cross for you, when he saved you, when he made sure that that good seed was planted in the field that sprung up into you today. How serious are you with him, with your life? Nobody knows but you. Maybe today, maybe you need to say, Lord, I'm here, I'm yours. I know. I know that I may not have much and there may not be much that I can do. But you got me. You've got me. Whatever you can do with me, that's what I want you to do today. Do you want to just keep living in mediocrity? Or do you want God to do great things in your life? Do you want to keep your eyes on the devil that's at work and will be until the last harvest? Well, put your eyes on God because the good wheat's growing too. Do you want to be a part of that? Mm-hmm.